Hello and welcome to Red Nets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. I'm Rick, and as always, we've got Steve, we've got Farrell. It's another week. We're back in business, baby. We have Premier League football on the go. And what a way to start off the season and an away win at Norwich. Steve, break it down for us. What ha- what happened? What happened down at Carroll Road? Yeah, well, it was just Mohamed Salah masterclass, wasn't it, at the end of the day? Uh, an unbelievable player, but we, we already knew that. Um, I think, do you know, I, I was excited, but I've, I've tried to take my rose tinted glasses off, and I think the 3-0 scoreline is a little bit harsh on Norwich. I think Norwich, you know, they had a fair share of the ball. They battled us in midfield. Obviously, Liverpool's front line was just too much for Norwich to deal with on the day. And yeah, um, I don't think they can complain with the loss. Um, but as I say, I think the 3 score scoreline is a little bit harsh on Norwich. But um, yeah, Firmino on the score sheet, jotted on the score sheet, Salah making a case for the Ballon d'Or in his first 90 minutes. You'd love to see it. Like. It was an absolute masterclass from Salah. I mean, like, so like, he, he got the opening day goal which is you know just the thing he does now it's I, I I until this last week when everyone was saying like well until on the actual day when everyone was mentioning oh he, he's always getting opening day goals it hadn't really clicked until you know it was, I was like oh yeah I've got, well of course like, you know you go through all the matches like yeah yeah he did score on that one yeah he did he did score in that one too um but like just throughout the game he uh I mean Trent was the architect for the Jota goal, um, but it, it went via Salah uh, to free up some space. Um, and, you know, and it was also purely responsible for the, uh, for squaring to Bobby for, for his goal. Um, Farrell, I mean, what did, what did you make of the, the Salah masterclass? Even more impressive, I think, when you consider, I think he scored in Roma's opening uh, league game of the season before he joined Liverpool as well so that, that streak is, is even longer than we initially realised it's, it's a streak yeah. longer than the Undertaker's like, the one for the WWE fans it's heading there isn't it it's, it's in that it's in that sort of yeah it's, it's, heading, it's in that territory isn't it I think but yeah, as you've rightly pointed out I think it was you know a game almost as well defined by the fullbacks contributions you know Trent was in superb form his delivery is looking phenomenal and you know we have to give a shout out to the Costa Simicas in his first you know full league game uh, for us I think I thought he was you know there's a few sort of defensive errors in that but I think it's to be expected you know you're bringing him on for the best probably the best left back in world football at the moment and Andy Robertson um, but also I think what was really sort of interesting especially when we're sort of um, thinking about our last season was if you look at sort of Van Dijk and Matty as a partnership um, played more minutes in that game alone than they did together the entirety of the last season. Same thing for Costa Sinecas, um, which really goes to show just how absolutely detrimental um, that injury crisis was last year. Uh, so really, really good to sort of see those back in action. Um, and yeah, I think I'm really excited to see particularly the little bit of competition between Diogo Jota and uh, Bobby Firmino as well. I think it's a very positive sign that they both got on the score sheet early, which is exactly what you want your forwards to do um, at the start of the season. And I think a little bit of healthy competition will certainly go a long way in this season. Yeah, I, I agree that like uh, Firmino is definitely over the last season or two. I mean, he's he's taken on less of a um, a goal offensive 
role within the squad uh, and has been more of the sort of making space and setting up the actual, like, you know, for Mo and Mane to uh, to get the goals in. But like uh, having Jota there, it definitely, it's it's that sort of, it's it, it's kind of like how Robbo and Trent had the assist competition going. Like you need that sort of friendly rivalry that friendly sort of like push to uh to try and to try and elevate all the players in the squad uh steve what uh what else did you make of the uh, defensive performance because i mean like when you when you lay out the numbers like that i mean it's i mean it's like night and day compared to last season yeah i mean defensively uh like final pointed out you know, there was there was definitely a couple of holes in Simicast's performance, but a swift uh, slap on the back of the head by James Milner might show that he won't do that again. Um, but yeah, it was it was solid, and obviously I think Allison, uh, rightly so, is the reason we had a clean sheet. Uh, he made a couple of great saves. He made three saves in one go. Arguably, the last one was a bit of a palm away clearance, but still, I'm going to count it as a save just to call it a triple save. But yeah, Allison was unbelievable. I thought Van Dyke, considering how long he's been out, uh, the 90 minutes he played, he's the best in the world, if not the best, which I do still think he is. Um, Matty, as well, all us next to him. I mean, there was a couple of times uh, Norwich got in behind them, uh, which was a bit worrying, but I think that comes from just sort of uh, first game of the season. And I mean, clean sheets, we can't really be complaining with that. No, it's it's a great footing for the for us to build on for the next few matches. Uh we're back in we're back at Anfield this weekend. Uh, we'll get on to that later. Um, but like you know, we're already sitting. I mean, it, it's the first game of the season. Pretty much every, there have been no draws this entire first opening week. It's all wins or losses for everyone. Um, so, you know, it's, we're sitting in third. That could easily have been 10th. You know, it's not, it doesn't really mean anything at this stage of the season, but it's a nice sort of like mental, um, you know, thought place of like, okay, we've got third. You know, let's let's build from there. It's, it's it, it mentally, it's a European spot. Cool. You know, let's move on to the next to the next stage. So, overall, you know, final thoughts, Farrell. Yeah, no, I think I think in general, quite happy. I think you know, Steve's rightly touched on the fact that I think the scoreline did to an extent flatter us. I think you know, Alison Tarot definitely saved us, and also, you know, there were several points in that game. I think we're. Norwich could call a goal or two back, but you know the final ball was found to be lacking. But I definitely love to draw attention to set pieces in that game, even though I, th- I suppose it wasn't a direct contributor to any one of our sort of goals. I think we, we certainly looked very, very sharp that opening game against Norwich, and I think you can already see the influence to the extent of the, the work the club's done with um, Nero Eleven. So, this, which for those who aren't familiar with the organisation, they helped sort of. Enhance athletes' uh, mental clarity um, and mental strength, which is of huge, huge importance. I think, especially, it's important when you've got players like you know Van Dyke, who can contribute and has contributed in that area previously. So I think we'll certainly see a few goals come from, uh, potentially more than some may uh, expect. So, in uh, in the last match, 
Salah, as we've said, had a bit of a masterclass uh, halfway through the match, just after he'd scored. Uh, his agent, Rami Abbas Issa, Issa, Hassa, I, every week there is a name that will stumble me every single time. Uh, he posted on Twitter saying, I hope they're watching, which is a very ominous message. But today, uh, as we're recording this, uh, James Pierce from The Athletic has come out and uh, said that the seller negotiations, contract negotiations have begun. So that's, you know, I think, I think they were watching, let's put it that way. Uh, so it's going to extend his deal to 2025, which it currently ends in 2023. So, you know, an extra two years on top. Uh, he's currently on 200,000 a week, but this deal would make him the highest paid player in the club's history. So. First of all, I think we can all agree that it's it's been long overdue that Seller deserves some sort of reward for uh, his contributions to the club. Uh, Farrell, what kind of contract do you think we're sort of looking at based on the fact that, you know, we, we're still getting over COVID. We're still sort of uh, feeling the effects of uh, the financial implications of that. We might not have the most money to just go splashing around what do you think will will come of these contract negotiations? Like how how significant of a fee will he receive? I wouldn't expect us to um, utterly break the bank. I think there will be some breaking of the wage structure um, as is suited to a player of his calibre and certainly more than deserves it. I wouldn't be expecting anything close to the kind of wages the likes of PSG and City are offering. Um, but definitely, I think at least maybe in the region of... £50,000, potentially more. Um, I think the club, and rightly so, the club have to consider the reaction of other players because if you increase one player's salary by an exponential amount, you get other players knocking on the door going, well, you know, I contribute maybe not as much, but significantly. So why aren't I on significantly larger wages too? So there is a balancing act. I think fans need to appreciate that there will be a there will be a bigger contract offered, but the club do need to be careful. The club do need to balance things carefully. But um, as you've rightly pointed out, things are looking promising, so that's something we can definitely be hopeful about. Um, I think certainly it's absolutely critical we keep and, and the kind of contract that is initially being discussed uh, until twenty twenty five, as we certainly all, all three of us discussed last week, is is ideal because he looks like the kind of player that can keep on going beyond. Um, the, the current expiration date of his current terms. You mentioned about the um, the wage structure for a second there. I, I, everyone has this sort of, not misconception, but like sort of like this uh, thought process, like you mentioned of, you know, if if one player gets a pay bump, then the next player is going to get a pay bump and then they're, they're, gonna, they're all going to be knocking on the door. And I'm not saying that that's not going to be the case, but the, the thing with Mo is... You know, as we constantly sort of take the piss out of, he's that one season wonder that carried on going. He's not a one season wonder. He's, you know, he, he's been a contributing player for so long and, uh, and he doesn't show any signs of letting up. Now, Yes, you're right. There are some players in the squad, like, for example, Robertson, who, you know, has contributed an awful lot in terms of assists. Uh, he's, you know, he's 
pretty much been a very consistent player since joining and literally now he's out injured is probably the first time we've really sort of been able to see just how much he brings to the table. But at the same time, you know, I think the club have enough of an example with Mo to go, yes, so-and-so who is not, whoever's knocking on the door. Yes, you do contribute a lot. And this is what the wage structure is there for, you know, and, you know, you'll get your bonus or whatever for everything, every cup that you win. But you like, basically we are rewarding at these new higher tiers that we're adding into the structure because, you know, we haven't been in this situation before where a player has contributed for a significant period of time. We've always had like these players that have come and gone after like a season or two. Steve, like, I mean, for example, if Coutinho was still here and still playing at the levels that he was playing at, would you agree that he would be sort of at that sort of knocking on new levels of, I mean, I know it's all hypothetical because he's gone off to Barca and he's just, yeah, everything's just gone down, down the shitter, but you get what the vibe I'm going for here. Yeah. Um, Ian Rush said something recently. Um, and I think it's, I think it's striking a balance between two things. And for first Ian Rush came out and said that Mohamed Salah, uh, this season, if he goes and posts the numbers that we're all expecting him to, because he's, he's posted similar numbers over the last few years. If he does it again this season, he's rightfully up there with the likes of Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Neymar. Um, and he sort of hinted that maybe there could be a shout for him to go for the Ballon d'Or, which, you know, let's see what happens this season. You've got that. Uh, and yeah, I see what you're saying. With Coutinho, we're still sticking around. You're sort of talking about this longevity of a player. Um, Suarez and Torres left the club. Coutinho left the club. Salah is still here. If he signs an extension, he'll, he'll eclipse the, um, their sort of legacies at Anfield. And I think the the thing I, I don't I don't know I, I have no idea I've not been told anything of course but like my guess is that the club might be a little bit worried about what Sadio Mane in particular thinks about Mo Salah's new contract there in regards to Farrell saying a player might be knocking on the door I do think that he might be the player that maybe it's it's most uncomfortable with with Salah becoming the highest paid player at the club because Mane since he's been at the club, has never been that far behind Salah. Um, there's some seasons where he's, he's looked on par. Obviously, last season is not a great example for Mane, but it was an off-season. We know the kind of class of player we're talking about there. And I think it is between those... We'd like to say that football is a bit more romantic than it, but when um, the likes of Neymar is in and the wages that he earns in Paris, Mo Salah should be up there in a similar wage. We'd like it to be a bit more nuanced than that, but that's the kind of wages he deserves. If Liverpool don't give it to him, you know, we've seen other players in the past that have had bigger ambitions, be it financial, be it the sort of silverware. They've moved on from Anfield. If we can keep Salah, I think it's great. But, uh, obviously, but um, Sadio Mane, I think, I think he might be the delicate uh, matter here. Yeah, uh, he's... he's... And that's what I was kind of sort of alluding to with the, on a consistent basis, year after year, after year, after year, and Mane has had for the, for a good chunk of those had a really good time here. But like, as you mentioned last season, a bit off the pace. Um, and so like, you know, if I think if there's any contract negotiations, I don't think he would, uh, which I sort of hope there are, uh, I don't think he would be 
getting anywhere near what Mo is going to potentially be offered here. Where I mean, we don't have any sort of numbers on the table. All we know is highest paid re- uh, player in Liverpool's history. Farrell, I mean, where do you where do you think uh, Mane would would sort of sit on this scale? Like, you know, it's are we talking? a great deal off or are we talking just like a couple of tens of thousands of pounds a week? Let me just look this up. So Mane is, so Sadio right now is on a hundred thousand a week. So exactly half of what Mo is on. There's obviously nuance to this, but I think if you're looking at it sort of as objectively, I think I'm not, in my opinion, I wouldn't say Mane's half the player. Salaries. I think that that's a bit that's a bit harsh on on Mane. I think he does, to an extent, often get overlooked. Obviously, there is the last season to consider. But if you're considering Sadio Mane at his best, I, I, I wouldn't say he's half the player salaries yeah. at his best. I think there is a difference there. I think I think there is in terms of, I think in terms of quality. If you were to look at both objectively at their best, you would say Salah does edge him but not to the extent that he's twice as good the player um, having said that certainly if it comes to a contract and you're looking to compensate those players you are going to offer Salah the bigger contract I think I think, I think that's fair but then likewise you have to consider as Steve has rightly pointed out you know, you know uh, Sadio is going to be knocking on the door potentially going well why, why aren't I been offered uh, bigger terms especially then if you're thinking Say hypothetically, Salah gets offered a two hundred fifty pound thousand pound a week contract, potentially more, uh, and you're looking hundred thousand pounds a week. You know, you're thinking, well, hang on, there's a there's a hundred and fifty thousand pound a week disparity there. That's that's pretty huge, and I don't think obviously it's not fair and it's not um, an accurate reflection of the difference in quality between the two. Um, again, it'd be sort of a delicate balancing act in terms of whether the club can then afford to also offer. Sadio a boost to the extent that you know he'd be happy to extend his terms, but obviously not to the extent that he's offered contract to um, to Salah. Um, it, it, it's difficult because you are getting to that point, and it's 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 a point that was opened up last summer in terms of going to break up this front three. You know, what at what point? Because it's 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 a relative. You know, I certainly don't think we should be looking to. You know, sell, sell them, sell them all. Certainly, Salah is an absolutely critical one to keep at the club, and the other two dependent on the kind of seasons they have this year. But the reality we are facing is, it's likely at least one of the three could potentially, you know, part, you know, go separate, go their separate one next summer or further on. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, until I read it out just then, I wasn't aware of just how. I mean, I say low. I mean, like I would love the salary that, that Sadio Mane is on, but um, like in comparison, I w- I wasn't aware of how just how low that was. And you're right; he, he's he's definitely not worth half the player. I mean, if if you're FSG looking at that, that's like that looks like a bargain on paper. Um, but obviously, you know, you've got to eventually pay up uh, when it comes to contract negotiations. So Salah is currently joint sixteenth highest paid Premier League football. Uh, so I thought we'd, we'd have a fun game of higher or lower. Farrell, you mentioned that you wanted him on 250 or you could see him on 250,000. Where do you think that would place him on the list? So we're talking top 16. 
So yeah, somewhere in the top sixteen. He's joint. He's joint sixteenth. Joint sixteenth, as it stands. Okay, yeah. <laughs> as it stands. So where would two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. put him on the list? Two hundred and fifty thousand. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting it'll be a lot less. I'm, I'm going to say thirteenth. Joint eleventh. Joint eleventh. Uh, okay, right. And uh, I will accept that. Because uh, it's like the next one is like fifteenth, which is Van Dyke. So like it's like eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. So yeah, you 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 pretty much bang on the money. Steve, how much would you think he's worth? Uh, I, th- I think in, in in when you look at all the contracts around around the world, I know obviously FSG aren't. One to really splash the cash, but Van Dyke's got quite a blockbuster deal at the minute. Just only one of these to sign there. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe three hundred thousand pound. I would say uh, per week would be suitable for Salah. Three hundred thousand would put him joint sixth on the list, alongside Jack Grealish and Raheem Sterling. So now we're getting into the whole conversation of you know. I mean, I know that uh, Jack Grealish has had like you know quite a significant deal at uh, at Man City but like is he is he as good as Mo Salah probably not in fact i know for certain he's not and that that that's where this whole transfer i mean like this this whole contract negotiations it all falls apart based on like you you mentioned like oh well if you compare me to so and so then i'm worth this like could you see us getting into a really dodgy situation with these like escalating fit. I mean football in, in it's in itself is just going mad with with money spending especially after post covid spending as well. Farrell like is are these figures ridiculous or are these figures ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've answered your own question there. Um, I'm not I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to lead you into a conversation. Yeah, no, I, I think, funny, if we're being completely honest, yes, the figures are absolutely ridiculous. If you're thinking Jack Grealish, quality player as he is, um, is on, you know, almost, well, is on £100,000 a week more than most other as it stands. It's, it's not an accurate reflection of quality there. But again, we're talking about Man City, who can afford to dole out these kind of wages, the likes of PSG, who can also afford to dole out these kind of wages. It's It, it gets to a point where, um, you know, how, how far do you keep committing to this when you're a club that doesn't have the financial capacity of the likes of Man City and PSG? Um Obviously, that's not to say that Liverpool aren't trying. You know, if you look at the wage, uh, the wages currently on offer, I think we're we're second to City in the in the in the English top flight um, as it stands in terms of wages offered. With significant commitment, I, I think it's certainly worth bearing in mind when people are qu- quick to criticise FSG over their level of funding. It's, you know, at the end of the day, you have to pay. You have to pay your players. You have to be committing. To your best players, and there's as we've as we've mentioned before, there's a clear correlation between keeping your best players at the club and success. And I think you know we, we do that to a certain degree, but the reality of the situation is, would have you know, depend on the player, we're not going to be able to offer these kind of four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand a week contracts. Um, when it comes to sort of breaking that wage structure, it just depends. Um, as I mentioned before, on that ba- that delicate balancing act uh, and the level of commitment they're able to offer, I think 
300,000 pounds wouldn't beyond wouldn't be beyond the realm of reality, but I'd certainly expect to see the club see if they can sort of land him on in the region of 250,000 and potentially above. Um, so I, I think a lot of our, uh, the reason, a lot of the reason why we were hitting the sort of second place in the contracts, I mean, in the, in the payouts, uh, for salary is because we were hitting quite a lot of contract clauses uh, over the last year or two. Uh, with what with winning, you know, Premier League, Champions League, and ever and all the bonuses associated with that, uh, we are a very sort of clause-heavy club. Uh, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Um, and one of the players who will hopefully be benefiting from one of these said clauses is Jordan Henderson. Um, he has apparently agreed a new deal according to David Ornstein at the Athletic. So apparently the contract has been signed uh, after a bit of a brief, you know, kerfuffle in the media over the last couple of weeks. Um, it looks like Henderson's come back from holiday. Everyone's gathered around the negotiation table and it looks like he's well, the club and Henderson have agreed a three-year deal with a fourth year depending on the number of appearances made. And apparently Klopp played a pivotal role in negotiations because, you know, we don't want to see another Gini Wijnaldum situation unfold in front of us. Um, Steve, I mean, like going back to this higher or lower game, he's on uh, 140,000, which puts him at joint 38th in the table of... The, the highest salaries in, in the Premier League. Um, it's, you know, I, I think that's that's a fair assumption of where where Henderson sort of deserves to be. He's a, he's a pivotal figure in the club. Um, obviously, deserves a bit of a pay bump and a bit of a, like, for everything he's done over the last, like, decade, especially within the last half of that decade. It's just the, the fourth season dependent on appearances where I'm starting to worry a little bit. And I'm just wondering if you agree with that. Yeah, well, I think uh, first is uh, as long as Henderson is one of Liverpool's most paid players, I think that's the most important thing, really. You know, long-standing captain. Now he's, you know, he deserves to be up there. But yeah, the fourth year dependence on appearances. I'm, I'm not too upset by it, to be honest. I like the idea that there's an additional year already attached to the contract. Um, we're looking at Jordan Henderson right now as he is, as a, a 31-year-old, I believe. Um, and, you know, when these when these three years are up, we're talking about Henderson being James Milner's age, and but without James Milner's fitness. Uh, James Milner obviously is a machine, but Henderson's had his problems with injuries. In a few years' time, it's a completely different player we're going to be talking about. And those appearances, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want him to leave the season early just because he's only going to play five games. I'd rather keep him around because it's Jordan Henderson. He's a living, walking Liverpool legend. But um, I can see why the club's doing it. I think the final year is sensible. And to be honest with you, I'm just, I'm just thrilled that it looks like it's all going to be sorted out. And we're not going to see a repeat of an album situation. I'm a little bit annoyed, to be honest with you, that the bump in the road uh, even came out, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, it didn't sound like there was much of a bump in the road. It sounded like there was a molehill, if that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad that it even got to the press, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it's just one of those things you keep in-house, really, unless, you know, I, I, it, it stinks of one side trying to get one up over the other 
but you know, hey ho, we are we are at where we are. But I mean, looking at his his appearances over the last five years, so sixteen, seventeen, he uh, had twenty four appearances, missed thirteen games uh, due to a foot injury that was that saw him out for one hundred and twenty nine days. Seventeen, eighteen. 27 appearances, two subs. Uh, he had a muscle injury that I was out for 24 days, six games missed. He made 32 appearances and 11 subs in the 18-19 season, which saw him out with a hip injury for 18 days, which saw him miss four games. I mean, there's a few like sort of like game here, game there sprinkled in, uh, you know, in, in with these injuries, but I'm just picking out like sort of the main, the main ones. Uh, 19-20, 30 appearances, four subs. Knee and hamstring injuries. He was out for nine games in total on what well, in total, but like from those two injuries. Uh, last season, obviously, he had the groin injury out for 82 days, 15 games missed, 21 appearances, one sub. Like it's like a a hill almost. Like we've we've a roller coaster. We've hit the apex and we're like kind of coming down on the other side of it. Like the age and the number of injuries that you're starting to get. I mean, obviously, last season was one of the few where he sort of he was still achieving a fair amount of appearances. Didn't really miss on out on an awful. I mean, missed out on nine games, but you know, compared to some of the other seasons, it's not too bad. But like, you know, the he's the groin injury, fifteen games played. Like as as he's getting older, he's more likely to uh, to pick up these little injuries here and there and miss more and more and more games. Uh, Farrell, do you think it's a possibility that he might not even reach the the uh, appearances threshold for that fourth season? I mean, I would personally rather have him around in that fourth season, even if it means he's a coach. Yeah, no, I think as you pointed out, um, there's certainly you would say there's there is that pathway for him. I think given how influential a figure he is, if you know if you, if you gave the club you know the option of him being sort of fast-tracked into the coaching system, I think they'd absolutely bite your hand off the uh, the option. In terms of his availability, you have to, as you've rightly pointed out, you have to take last season with a pinch of salt, you know, in terms of like, I think it was something like 55% of league games he missed with that injury. But then you look at the last two seasons and his numbers are more in the region of 20 to less than 20% of league games missed. Um, again, though, he is in his 30s. It's an issue that could potentially get worse as he gets older. Um, but I think there'll be room, even with that clause of appearances in, there'll be room for some flexibility, either if it, if it is becoming clear at that point late in his contracts that he's not really going to make the appearances. I think there will be discussions over certainly his future in terms of what he sees as being the, the best next step, whether he thinks he can potentially, you know, move, get it, have a romantic move back to Sunderland or elsewhere the, the rest of his career. Um, or whether he just feels you know the time is right to sort of hang up his boots, you know, and and make that make that transition into coaching if if it's something he even wants to do. Um, but I think certainly I think there'd be many at Liverpool who would think he would be quite suitable for that. So we, we just have to wait and see on that. Yeah, I mean the the thing is with a romantic. I mean we we were all saying about Milner and how our oh, Milner's probably going to go to Leeds, and that never really materialised. Um, but I mean, right now, obviously, there's still quite some time to go. But I mean, Sunderland are like, you know, League One. Uh, I just, uh, with with Henderson, I can't see him uh, taking too much of a step down just to sort of tick that that box of like going back to the boyhood club. Um, 
but you know, who who knows? It's 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 completely within the possibilities of reality. Steve, where do you think where do you think his ultimate destination will end up? Do you think he'll retire at the club? Do you think you know it's... Jordan Henderson? Yeah, I mean it, it really because if he wants to and if he approached Sunderland, yeah, I mean he's going straight back there. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to turn him down. They um, they even uh, they tweeted about him when he won uh, the Premier League. You know that it's still very much one of their a bit like the way. Um, We'd see Milner, like you're saying, but it does look like Milner is probably going to be out of contract next summer, and there's no talk of anything going on in terms of uh, renewal. So, back here, there could be some parallels in what Milner does uh, to what Henderson does. Uh, um, both of them would be lovely. Uh, again, though, it, it, it's quite romantic, and it does, and the scenes with Liverpool, you know, um, if Jurgen Klopp's still there when Henderson hangs up his boots, I know he'll be pushing him into some sort of thing. But, I mean, selfishly, I would like to see Jordan Henderson retire at Liverpool. Uh, he's got that extra one-year extension. Looking ahead to, to Burnley now, what what do you what are your, your predictions for the game, Steve? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a bigger test than Norwich, of course. Uh, we're, we're talking about a strongest start of the a less disrupted pre-season as well. Um, yeah, I think the big decision I have in the front three probably picked themselves. I imagine Klopp might stick with the team that he played against Norwich in that in that respect. But in midfield, I could definitely see Shout to James Norman starting. But personally, for me, I'd be starting um, Fabinho, Aita, and Thiago. You can always bring players off the bench of the plan. And that was something we've seen against Norwich where Fox coming off and the solidity that uh, Fabinho brought to the team. Obviously, Fabinho coming off the bench was nice as well. I could see pretty much a copy and paste job, but a, maybe a tweaked midfield. Yeah, I mean, Talking about score lines as well, it's always difficult. But Anfield with the crowd there, a part of me would want to say something like five nil, but um, I'm not going to go that bold. I'm going to copy and paste the score line as well. I'm going to say three nil to Liverpool. I mean, I, I'm I I managed to uh, bag myself tickets in the ballot for the uh, for the game, so I'll be there this weekend. So I'll, I I hope it's a a five nil goal fest. I, I was I was sort of thinking along the same lines. I I can see with the crowd and everyone sort. Of Pumped up more than usual. Uh, a three-nil is isn't exactly out, out of the realms of possibility. Um, I agree with what you're saying about the the midfield. Maybe um, if if Kaita can't sort of stand the test of time for the whole match, maybe bring on Harvey Elliott, have him in the midfield role. Like this is the sort of like he's sort of proven himself at Championship level against these sort of like big burly those teams you know compared to the premier league it's a, it's a tougher difficult different type of caliber of types of teams that you're going up against that are sort of grinding out results rather than eloquent you know fluent football um so i think this is a sort of perfect game to sort of throw him in not as a starter but like you know maybe bring him in on the 60 60 70th minute or something like that but uh, Farrell, what what do you what do you make of the uh, the match what do you think it's going to be yeah, I think it certainly won't be a repeat of the uh, well, uh, 1 0 we sort of experienced last season, which sort of precipitated that awful run of results. The crowd is going to be a very different sort of situation. Um, yeah, in terms of selection, I certainly agree with Steve. I think you, you have to have to sort of tie. Um, as to whether we could see one of the other main uh, trio, the likes of Henderson or Thiago, I'd, I'd like to see Thiago start, um, but I reckon. I could potentially see Klopp bringing him on for a few minutes rather than giving him that starting slot 
if, if he is going to start Fabinho as well. Um, so we'll wait and see on that. But I think personally, Klopp will go for Fab, Keita, and maybe maybe Oxley Chamberlain again. I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure on that. I just can't see one of the other main ones starting. Um, yeah, I think otherwise. Front three, back five, all picked themselves. Um, and I think we'll be expecting to see more than just the one goal this time. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling slightly less optimistic than Steve is, but um, I, I could see there being more goals. But I'm going to go with a 2 0. Yeah. Okay. So we're all in agreement it's going to be a win. It's, it's going to be a 3 0 or 2 0. Anything outside of that, and we're complete failures, and we shouldn't be, you know, making predictions ever again. Uh, it's uh, we'll we'll still be here next week making making pot shop decisions uh, on Klopp's behalf that he will completely ignore. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been Rednets, and we'll see you next week for another edition. Bye for now. <laughs>